Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to another episode of Undying Light. I am Alex, and I am your solo host today. So it has been a long time coming. I have been super busy, and Paul and I have been cranking out episodes, uh, you know, jointly. And we have been doing um, a ton of stuff with guests, and we've been doing a ton of stuff uh, together. And we've been, you know, doing the roundtable with Nick and uh, we've had all sorts of different things going on. Seminary has been very hectic for me, and you know, on top of now preaching part-time at some churches, and uh, and then <clears throat> obviously I still got my full-time job. So uh, hopefully when um, I transition to ministry more, I will be able to drop some more of these episodes, but I'm hoping uh, to at least get this out and just kind of wet the lips. Uh, we've talked about... Uh, you know, the Wake Up Church series when I was going through, um, you know, the bookstore and uh, I had made the comments that we're going to tackle worship and we're going to tackle uh, music. And so I'm going to take today and we are going to go through just some of the early church um, approaches. We're not going to get in depth. This is not exhaustive. This is not a, you know, um, a detailed list of how the early church looked at worship, but we're going to just do a high live, a high level look at, uh, everything because, uh, I want to try to go through, um, just kind of the different approaches and different styles of worship. Now there's a, a great history of how the church worshiped and, uh, there's a lot of really good information. There's a lot of really cool timelines out there that have set up, um, you know, the progression of worship. And uh, so I'm looking at a couple of these charts and I'm just going to kind of walk through it. So, <clears throat> and then once we kind of establish this history, uh, what we want to do then is transition to a um, talk about like modern worship. We're going to talk about uh, the point of um, modern music and some of the lyrics and the issues there. So now worship is generally a broad term for a church service, right? So we 
I'd probably say today we most likely associate worship with the music that we hear in church and uh, but not necessarily always true because worship is anytime we come together to give God praise and give him thanks so uh, music is really just the element uh, uh, that's added to it so we are going to be looking at just kind of the early church um, you know up through to modern times and we're going to then transition and just slowly look at um, music as one aspect in this part uh, and then we're going to look at um, sermons and uh, other issues that have kind of arisen from this so like you know the circus acts that go on and people bringing you know designing a basketball court on their stage and instead of having a real church for instance um you know pulpit and a bible so so here we go we are kicking this off uh, i don't know in time in terms of when this actually episode will drop because paul's working on a hermeneutics episode as i record this so uh, we've got some stuff hopefully saved up in our banks and we're going to just kind of release these on Fridays as we go along. So, excuse me. So here we go. We've got the, uh, ascension of Christ that happened. Um, you, most people claim right around 30 to 33 AD. Um, most people think Christ was born right around, um, anywhere between 3 BC or to 1 to 2 AD. Uh, so that's kind of an interesting little topic to kind of break through. But um, So what we're going to look at is post-ascension, and we're going to look at some of the uh, early church methods of worship. Um, again, not exhaustive. I'm not digging deep into this to cultivate, you know, this is how the churches did this and that or the other, because... There's a lot. I mean, um, I, I've got a, a, a whole series on church history, and it, that's not even exhaustive, and it's four books long. And so there's many, many looks at uh, early church history. And so if you're interested, I would highly advise it. Um, grab a book and, and take a listen, and, or take a read, I guess, not listen. But uh, so, so in Acts, the call from Peter was to repent and be baptized. And so what we see... Uh, as they are starting to spread this gospel, is to basically set themselves up in a, in a town square. Um, this was kind of the method of making speeches or making a proclamation or uh, announcing news to the, 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 the town. So Paul and, and Peter and all of these get, uh, apostles, as they transition on, would basically just enter towns and then just start preaching, you know, from street corners or from a, you know, a town square. And so we see that kind of as the early foundation. And it takes um, takes just a little bit. It doesn't take too long before they start to <clears throat> meet in homes and meet in um, the synagogues that the Jewish uh, Pharisees had utilized and... Uh, and then they start to actually cultivate like a home setting where people can come to uh, and, and worship Christ in that manner. So this was kind of the, the building foundation. Generally what they would do is they would read a letter or they would recite the gospel. Now, um, we see a lot of, <clears throat> excuse me, 
my voice is raspy today. Uh, so during this early time, they didn't have a complete Bible, obviously. What they would generally have are either uh, re- rewritten letters or um, maybe a gospel that has been uh, written. Now, obviously, we know that the gospels didn't come until um, post 50 to 75 AD, depending on which gospel you're looking at, maybe a little bit later. Some of the letters didn't even come until after that time as well, because these letters were a cultivation of the apostles' journey. So most of the time in this very infant age of the church, uh, it was all recited from memory. And like I said, they may have had some documents um, that kind of, you could probably maybe say used as notes, but none of it was would be considered the original or, you know, an early transcript, if you would, that we would look at today to cultivate a a gospel. So, so as they're preaching, most of this is done by memory and it's all done to point directly to Christ. Uh, There's no, um, and if there, if there was any, you know, songs, if you would want to go that route, they would probably recite the, the Psalms. Uh, but they never had music in terms of what we see today. So uh, it was generally done um, just vocal with no instrument. So now as we move along in the history and we get into um, the 2nd century uh, and through the 5th century, what we start to see is a little bit more defined uh, church service. So what we what we look at is... Uh, Right around the year of 150, we see Justin Martyr um, start to kind of take a hold of this history, or of, you know, the service itself. Um, and uh, we can see what it, uh, a typical church service would actually look like. And, uh, and in this, he would lay out a um, fundamentals, basically, right? So they would... Um, start the service. The word of God would be both read and preached. There would be corporate prayer, including the Psalms. There would be communion with bread and wine to um, look back at the Eucharist. And then there'd be offering of one's possessions. Now, the reason that is, is because in this time period, um, it was uh, the church, and which is, you know, offering, right? They donate money to fund this service. So that was the premise now because obviously during this time they didn't have you know huge churches they didn't have um you know massive budgets but they needed money to eat and and live basically so very very minimal living and uh so that's kind of the um premise to justin services very simple they come in they read the word of god they preach the word of god and then they would go through, um, in a sense, a uh, form of worship. And by doing so, they would do read the Psalms and or they'd look at other prayers through the Bible. Uh, the Lord's Prayer is another example of that. And then they would take communion and break bread and drink wine. And then they'd do their offering. So one thing to make distinguish, though, is while wow, this might seem short, <laughs> these were hours and a whole day's worth of prayer and worship. This wasn't just a an hour-long service like we experience today. 
in most churches. These were multi-hours because they would they would read everything or preach everything that they had every time they come together. This wasn't, you know, just a, we're going to read from, you know, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 today. This was a, we're going to hammer everything out that we have. Excuse me. So as we, uh, again, I apologize for raspy voice and I think I got the hiccups too. It's kind of like uh, (laughs) messing with my rhythm. So, so as now we transition up a couple of hundred years, what we start to see is more of a defined form of worship. And so now as we transition into a new age of the church, what we start to cultivate is a different form. And by different, it's more or less just additions to the service. The core was always to preach the gospel. The core was always to share the word of God. Um, but they would tra- they would add, you know, more corporate prayer. They would add um, a little bit more. Uh, they would get into the creeds and the confessions uh, as we kind of transition through this early uh, few hundred years. And they would start to do, you know, the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed as they are brought out of uh, some of these councils that were held. And uh, so... Again, at the foundation of this early church, there was no big band. There was no um, form of uh, music. Uh, And if there was, it was generally just a recital of the Psalms. There was no, um, you know, songwriting, if you would, at this time period. Uh, So when we get into, you know, from the 300s, about maybe the 400s and on, we start to see the Catholic Church start to form and come together to the Roman Catholic Church that we are so well familiar with today. Uh, and then we start to see them into uh, enter into the Dark Ages and really take a firm hold on uh, worship. And it goes for, for about a thousand years that the church kind of is stagnant. Um, they really make this transition away from preaching the gospel and, you know, really putting this emphasis that man is uh, in need of working their way to heaven. So then they introduce the merit system, they introduce relics, and they introduce all of this other stuff. The purgatory is another thing. Um, they start to uh, elevate Mary over Christ as being a mediator or a secondary mediator that she has to go to Christ for us. And uh, so they really distort the gospel. And obviously, I'm not going to get into too much Catholic history, but uh, there are great books that um, written by the Reformation that show that process. So then we get into uh, the Luther Reformation in the early to mid-1500s, and then we get into the Reformation uh, in England through uh, all the other Reformers. Um, Germany with Calvin in the mid 1500s and then we start to see you know more worship kind of being cultivated and as they build upon this Calvin makes a big stance against removing any form of music that the Catholic Church had instilled Um, so Calvin's stance was to take everything back to basic worship form that the early church held to Uh, he was um, you know, him and all the reformers themselves were very much bent on trying to 
keep everything as close to the original approach that the apostles took. Now, eventually they allowed the singing of the Psalms to come back. And that was, um, you know, still a, as we look back early with Justin Martyr, you know, this, the prayers of the Psalms, they had basically now just added uh, music to them and allowed those to be sung. So as we continue on, we start to actually now see musicians so actually start writing music. And so we see uh, Jonathan Sebastian Bach in the early 1700s start composing music um, and uh, start, you know, we're still not really at the point of, you know, vocal, lyrical music. Uh, this was strictly organ and piano uh, that he was composing on and or putting music into uh, <clears throat> excuse me reciting the psalms so now we continue through um, and this is kind of the same trend uh, there's just little bits of um, added points through these great awakenings if you would through the um, 1700s and into the 1800s uh, but nothing that's really making substantial changes to worship the word was still preached uh, bread was still broken psalms were prayed uh, confessions and creeds and offerings were still held and really what we get is into the 17 and 1800s you start to get a lot of um, music that's actually written and you start to see music being um, sung in a couple of church services depending on the denomination that you were in so there were actual lyrical writers and they would scour through scripture and look at kind of just the nature of man versus God. And they would write music and reflection to that. And we get a lot of really good, you know, hymns is what they call them today. And we get a lot of our, um, some of our best music, in my opinion, from the, these couple of hundred years in this time period. And that continues on and we still have, um, you know, hymns being written into the early 1900s and well through. And then we take this transition into modern church. And a lot of this starts to change uh, and mainly due to the last probably 20 years because of technology and how it's really amped up. While they had musical instruments, you know, long before now, what we start to see is effect when we start to see, you know, speakers and loud mics and lights and smoke and, you know, the stuff being put on a screen, things like that. But through the history of this church, our church, um, the church, we don't see this over focus on, you know, music as the driving force to worship. Uh, the word of God was always the centerpiece. And, you know, the interesting thing is that kind of seems to start to fall away, unfortunately, um, even though, you know, a lot of these early churches preach the word of God and we see that tradition carry on. We, we see other elements, if you would creep into church, um, we start to see, uh, many different faculties of false teaching um, and we've had that all through the history of the church 
And now we get into an age of charismatic and Pentecostal movements where we have got, you know, worship and feelings and emotions being the target point of church service. Whereas prior to probably the last hundred years, the word of God was now, obviously, we know, there's the dark ages with the Roman Catholic church. And that was uh, flushed out by the reformation. But while the church was still holding true to the word of God, that was always the focus point was the gospel being read and preached. Once the Bible became a printed item in the 1500s and was distributed to the common folk, that was even a greater height of importance during the 1500s and the reformation preachers would be preaching seven days a week. They would uh, give the gospel. They would read from an epistle. They would read the Psalms. They would read an old Testament book. Uh, they would, hold two to three services on Sundays because the word of God was their focus. That was the most important thing and aspect that they could give to the people. It wasn't a song and it wasn't feelings or emotions. They preached the word of God and let the Holy spirit do the work on people. Now the transition to today, unfortunately, it looks like pastors are more bent on emotional feelings than they are delivering the word of God. And so what we get into today's service is you come in, it's loud, people are dancing, it's a, almost a big party. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if some churches have big beach balls that they throw up in the air and push around. And, you know, confetti's shot into the crowds, smoke machines um, for added effects, obviously lights and TV screens, and it gets... Um, to be a bit, in my opinion, ridiculous because you're not cultivating the gospel. Now, there might be a sermon in this somewhere in this mess of worship, but the sermon in and of itself is not driven to cultivate who Christ is. It's not a let's, you know, open to John and let's actually teach the word. It's more of an opinion based message uh, that's being delivered. And we're going to look at modern sermons versus um, historical sermons as we move through this um, series. But my biggest focal, and I know this isn't for once a long episode, so hopefully this is just kind of a preliminary view of the church worship. And again, like I said, it's not exhaustive, so don't beat me up if I didn't get too deep on you know the actual history. But I just want to really kind of you know, ensure that what we see through the, you know, the, the point of ascension to really the last hundred years is the focus of the church was to preach the gospel and break bread. And that was it. Um, baptism obviously was a thing too, because it was another sacrament, but that's, but I'm not going to be focusing on that aspect. What I want to focus on is the core message that the church was bringing and delivering here in this kind of quick overview of worship. So what we can look at is obviously how much this has all changed from the early church. And, and by early, I mean, basically everything, you know, pre 100, the last 100 years. And when we start getting into the modern music, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get some hymns and we're going to look at some of the traditional hymns. We're going to just kind of glance at some of the lyrics 
And then we're going to compare them to modern worship music. And then we're going to look at Christian artists in terms of um, their lyrical depth and, um, and and focus. And we'll we'll see how we fare today versus these uh, the old church, you know, the, the foundation. And so we've got a couple hundred years of good hymns to pick from. I'll pick, you know, a handful as we go through this. I don't know how many episodes I'm going to be doing on this particular series, but I will tackle uh, some of the big mainstream Christian artists. Um, I'm not going to probably get hit on Hillsong too much, mainly because uh, Nick uh, has a great series over on his page as he breaks down a lot of their stuff. So I'm not going to get too in depth on it. I probably will pull a song or two just to uh, make it as an example. But, uh, you know, when we look through the tradition of the church, the focus was always the gospel. And it feels like today that has greatly changed. Now you can go into a lot of churches and still get good messages. You can still get a good worship since the Reformed churches still hold to uh, the, the liturgy that the Reformation cultivated, um, even some of the more conservative denominations that hold to their roots have good liturgies. Um, but the non-denominationals, the Charismatic Pentecostals, really put a big emphasis on feelings and emotions. And it's interesting when we start to break down uh, the differences there. When you enter a non-denominational, most of the time you're going to walk into a big party. Uh, it's going to be loud music and, like I said a little bit ago, people dancing. And it's all about the feeling, the emotion. And while the songs can be okay, it's getting you, you know, to connect with yourself, your emotions. And not allowing god to do the work on you now there are some churches uh, that do a great job at picking uh, music and putting a band behind it and singing and having a you know giving a really good you know opening uh, session of praise uh, the church i attend is non-denominational when i have an ability and i have the chance to go and uh, for the most part they pick pretty good songs there's a couple that i'm not a fan of and there's um yeah, they do have some hill songs in there, which make me cringe. But for the most part, they pick up on some the the traditional hymns, and they uh, pick up on some of the older, um, if you would, Christian artists. Um, not anything within the last twenty years, but they do get modern stuff in there too to try to draw the crowd. But uh, you know, those are the songs, the original hymns that I like, and. <laughs> An interesting side story is when I really started coming back to my walk with God, I was really into the modern Christian music, you know, the emotional drive. It really made me feel like uh, God was, you know, uh, that God loved me and I didn't have to do anything and, you know, I didn't have to do anything different, if you would. Uh, there was just no depth to it, which I didn't realize for a long time. And I actually made the comment to my wife once that uh, I didn't care too much for the traditional hymns because they're just not, um, you know, up to beat, up to speed with, you know, the modern church. <laughs> and then when I started to go through my phase of being, ref you know, reforming my theology, 
I look at those hymns and I'm just like, what a fool I was because they have some of the most um, depth and Christ-exalting lyrics that you'll find. And we don't see that a lot of times in church. And the interesting thing is if you actually just look and listen to the lyrics, it really it doesn't always point to Christ as being the object of worship. It sometimes is elusive of that. And we're going to get into some of those uh, points as we dig through this um, series. So I hope this uh, is a good starting point. Uh, again, like I said, I'm not, I didn't want to get too deep into the foundations of worship. Um, you know, but I really want to emphasize that music wasn't, you know, a big focus of the original, of the early church. Um, the Catholics made it, uh, you know, started to add it. And then, you know, the reformers took it away and then uh, added, you know, the worship of um, Psalms, the singing of the Psalms. And then as we start to get, you know, past the uh, the Puritan age and get into these great awakening ages, uh, we start to see, you know, this Pentecostal movement and the charismatic movement. And a lot of these denominations start to add um, music into their worship. And again, music is fantastic if it's God honoring and it's a great thing to, to have in your church. And I highly advise it, but we have to look at the lyrical depth of that. And we should also note that music in itself should not be our focus. The gospel should be our focus. And some things that kind of bug me, uh, as somebody who's moving into ministry is when I hear, Oh, how long is your sermon today, pastor? And I'm like, I don't know, 20 minutes. Oh, okay. Well, that that's doable, I guess. And we have become so ingrained in this one hour of worship a week. And we've lost sight that this is the message that saves lives. This is what cultivates people from the dead. It brings them from death to life. And we only want to be here for an hour. <laughs> I'm devoting my whole life to this. I want to. I want this to en en embellish me and and just. I want to bathe in His Word. And it's, it's, it's sad when people ask me, "Oh, you know, keep your sermons under twenty minutes, please," um, because I could write for hours, and I can talk on this podcast for hours, because it's things that are dire. It's important. And so what we see as a transition too, as we add music and add singing and we start to add all these other things, we add, you know, we make our liturgies now eight pages long and we add um, prayers, which are fine, but we add all of these extra things into our service. The one thing that gets trimmed down is always the sermon. And if we look back at the original church, the sermon was the focus point. It was the gospel would be delivered and preached and then they would finish their services usually um, a couple hours later with um, a reading of the psalms or uh, and prayers confessions you know the breaking of the bread for communion and people would spend their whole days listening to these preachers preach now people can say well times have changed and we've got things to do right times have changed and we become a very busy society and yet what we find is this world is nothing but a distraction from god's truth we have 
given our souls over to the runnings of the world. Our kids have soft, uh, softball practice on Sunday mornings or soccer practice on Sunday mornings. This wasn't the case even 50 years ago. This wasn't even the case probably 25 years ago. But because we've become so ingrained with this, that, and the other, we have lost sight of what the important aspect of church is, and that is to come together collectively and give thanks and praise and worship our God. And so I hope as we dig into this, we'll see um, just this the difference between the original church and modern church. And we're going to look at some of the original hymns, and we're going to look at modern singing, and we're going to really hammer this out. And then at the um, when we start to look at uh, sermons, we'll take that transition. We'll look at you know uh, some of the early church fathers, and we're going to kind of go through um, some of the reformers. I got uh, Spurgeon's sermons, and we're going to look at uh, maybe some Martin Lloyd Jones. We're going to look at um, John MacArthur. You know, we're going to go through a lot of these church fathers, and then we're going to look at um, some of these false teachers that are cultivating church today too. So we're gonna. This will be a really um, probably a long series and, but again, I don't know how many episodes I'm going to do on it, you know, the, but the music, I definitely want to hit hard. And, uh, so that's what I'm going to drop with. And I hope this was just a very basic education. Again, you know, if you're looking at church history, um, the series I use is 2000 years of Christ power. It's a fantastic book series it's four books and it goes from uh the ascension of christ until modern church but it's not exhaustive so you know when you get into church history and reading church history there's um, thousands of books out there and you know you can't cram all that into a 35 minute podcast so i just wanted to keep this very high level and kind of show some of those um entry points of music and and things like that so uh, i hope this helped and i would love your feedback. So make sure that you are subscribed to us on iTunes, Spotify, and other platforms that you use for podcasting. Give us a review and rate us on iTunes and because that's what helps give us visibility. So we want to make sure that uh, this is being shared. And so whenever these episodes drop, please share them on Facebook or Instagram or wherever they uh, appear in your social media feeds. So um, Paul and I are greatly indebted to all of you to help keep this this moving because we uh, absolutely love doing it and we love working and walking and talking with you guys so that's all i got and until um, you hear us again on um probably our series of romans because we're gonna be doing that for quite a while that's it so guys stay reformed god bless love you all the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTER Exclusions apply. See site for details.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.